Thank you, Lord, for bringing Andrea this way so that we could partner with her. Kingdom work is wonderful work, and we just thank you for this opportunity. And uh, we do lay hands on her and pray over her for uh, your wisdom and your strength and your protection as she does the work of Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. Thank you. Good job, Jake. All right, so uh, I was reading a story last week about a very, Andrew, or Ashley like this, very gentle uh, professor. I mean, he was a gentle genius. That was his title. And his field of expertise was DNA. And, and this guy was so in love with people that he was afraid that when he died, his knowledge would die with him. So he cloned himself. And the cloning process went really well, but the clone was nasty. I mean, mean. Had a dirty, nasty mouth, and he tried to work on this. Such a gentle guy, and he kept working with him. He kept getting worse. And so one night he took him out to the Manhattan Bridge, tied some bricks on his feet, and dumped him in a river, and he drowned. Of course, they arrested him the next day, and they charged him. <laughs> you know what they charged him with, don't you? Making an obscene clone fall. Come on, man. That was good stuff, wasn't it? Listen, <laughs> there's times in our life, uh, family, where we're going to have to make split-second decisions on whether we're going to be gentle or mean. And it goes on every day. And just like peace that we talked about last week, when you start looking at the headlines and you start look, I ran him out of here. You start looking at the headlines and <laughs> you start uh, reading some of the newspaper stuff and you hear some of the stories your kids bring home from school, it, it's almost like peace. It almost looks like even though gentleness is not extinct, it, it sure should be put on the endangered species list. And that's where you and I come in. We're peacemakers, remember? We just talked about this last week. Cultivating gentleness in our lives is the most positive, bold, uh, powerful thing that we can do. And it's so much like Christ, gentleness is. Gentleness, like peace, is one of the low-hanging fruit of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, and self-control. And when we read that text, we're reminded that's God's dream for each one of us. That, that's what God hopes that we are developing in our minds and our hearts and our characters every day as we walk through life. And it's also a description of what normal should look like in the body of Christ. This is normal. So this morning, we're going to look at gentleness and we're going to look at it in one of a very familiar texts where we see Jesus in the middle of this explosive situation and to see him use gentleness to get out of it. It's a very familiar text. We've looked at it two or three times in my 31 plus years here, but it's perfect for what we're talking about today. Uh, the Greek word for gentleness that we're talking about this morning, it has some specific characteristics in mind. For example, a gentle person has, has a very submissive spirit towards God. That is, they're not arrogant. They're not pious. They're not holier than thou. They're very submissive to God. Also, a gentle person is teachable. Gentle people are not know-it-alls, you know. They, they know they've got a lot to learn. And unless you have a little humility, you can't be taught anything. G gentle people are teachable. And thirdly, gentle people are considerate. They're always thinking of other people. They're thinking, for example, what I say next and how I say it's going to have huge impact on these people. So I'm going to have to be very careful what I do next here. By the way, the gentle is, is the word in the Greek language the Romans used to describe their workhorses that they rode into battle. They were powerful but gentle. Did I ever tell you about the third grader who had a talking pony? 
Isn't that amazing? She had a talking pony, so she took it to school with her for show and tell. And when the kids were so excited, I mean, a pony at school, let alone one that could talk. So she left the pony outside, and she went on inside the classroom, and it came time for show and tell, and the teacher couldn't get, she had such a high-pitched voice, she couldn't get the kids settled down uh, to, to bring the pony. And so the third grader hollered outside and said, Pony, come in here! Pony, come in here! And finally, the pony came in, and the pony had such a deep voice, he said, Kids, settle down, and they did. And my point is, sometimes, uh, to work with our kids today, you've got to shout till you get a little horse. <clears throat> I'm going to keep trying, okay? <laughs> so, so that a workhorse is gentle because it's powerful, and yet so under control, you could put your little kid on it, and everything would be okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, it's by the gentleness of Christ that we appeal to you. That's what I'm talking about, peacemakers. We talked last week about being ambassadors of Christ and people who witness for him. This is how we do it. By the gentleness of Christ, we appeal to people. Now, we all know that Christ is the standard of gentleness. We know that. In fact, he said that of himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when he said, Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, because I'm gentle and humble in heart. That's Jesus. It's so unlike uh, us today. I mean, this powerful person, completely under control. Powerful man, completely gentle. Not like our culture today. I, I, I read uh, an article last week about this. There was a condo committee. You know how they interview applicants? And they had this, uh, these people in, and they, they were interviewing to see if they could buy a condo. And they said, what do you do for a living? She said, well, my husband's an engineer, and uh, uh, I'm a teacher. Kids? Yeah, we have two. One's seven and one's nine. Animals? Oh, no, they're very well-behaved. See, that, that's the point. Some kids are, are, are well-behaved and some are not. And some people are gentle, and some people are mean. And, um, in fact, that's a good synonym. If you're looking, uh, the, the opposite of gentleness is meanness. A gentle person just, they have this grace that surrounds them that people just want to be with them. You know, I told you last week about my dad. I can't wait till you meet my dad because people, he, he was that way. People wanted to be around my dad. See, so gentle. It's a safe place to be. And that's Jesus again. All the power in the universe, safe place to be. All this power under control, safe place to be. Now, we're going to read our text here in just a minute, I promise. But a couple more things I want to say about this. Gentleness is a product of God's supernatural power in our life. We talked about having that last week to develop peace. But let's just be honest. This is not a natural thing for us to do. Most of us in here, if we have power, we're going to use it for who? Me. We're going to control the situation around us. We're going to control the people around us to get what we want done. Gentle people tap into the Holy Spirit power and do things His way. So if we're going to be gentle at all, it's going to be because of the Holy Spirit. Why didn't you just say that? I'm not, I should, sorry. So, secondly, gentleness is a choice. We need to realize that we choose to be gentle. Gentle people are God-controlled people, not people-controlled people. You know how that goes? Some people just react to everything, and, and so uh, they're not controlled by God. They, they're controlled by people around them and their circumstances. That dictates their mood and how they act. You know what I'm saying? You hear people say, they made me so mad I couldn't see straight. They made me so mad I couldn't believe I talked like that. I don't talk like that, but they made, they made me so mad Sunday morning I couldn't even worship. You know what that is, don't you? That's saying, well, the way I acted and the things I said and the mood I was in was not my fault, somebody else's fault. And sadly, man, I've done that a lot. I bet you have too. 
See, if we choose to live like that, we'll become a lot of things, but gentle is not one of them. And I'm praying this morning that you and I will champion with the Holy Spirit and become gentle people. It's a great way to live, and it's the only way to witness and make disciples who make disciples, to, to gently, through the gentleness of Christ, that we appeal to people. Okay, there's a great story in John chapter 8, a good picture of this gentleness, that Jesus, right in the middle of this explosive situation, and I looked it up, it's been five years since we read this passage together, and I hope it's not been five years since you read it, but it might have been. So we're going to read it together this morning. It's in John chapter 8, verse 1. As soon as I start reading, you'll, you'll remember how familiar this is. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people had gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law, Moses commands, to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Okay, so we know by now, I've studying this story for years, this, this was just an attempt to trap Jesus. He showed up at the temple. Uh, everybody knew he was coming to the feast, but nobody knew he was speaking until he got there. And when he started to speak, he drew this great big crowd, and the Pharisees and the lawyers decided to use this as an occasion to trap him. So they caught this woman in adultery, assuming, and they threw her in at his feet and said, now what are you going to do with this? The law says in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and Leviticus chapter 20 that a couple caught doing this should be stoned to death. Now, by the way, that has not happened in years at, by this point. Maybe never. But it's in the law. And they think they've got Jesus. They don't care about this woman at all. They're trying to trap Jesus because, see, on the one hand, they know that he is so tenderhearted and he loves people so much. And they're expecting him to look at this woman, have compassion, and say, hey, just let her go. And if they do, he can say, see... We told you he's a liberal. We tried to tell you guys that. This is the law of Moses, and he's going against it. On the other hand, if he saw through that trap, and he said, well, you're right, it's in the law, stoner, then they can say, see, we told you he's not tenderhearted after all. He, he's, he's a rebel, because the Romans aren't going to let us do this. He's trying to take the law in his own hands here. See, they're patting themselves on the back here. This is, this is a real uh, good piece of political maneuvering they've done, and they've got to be thinking, we got him. There's no way out of this. This is a no-win scenario. They forgot about the wisdom and the insight of Jesus. That's a, that's a whole other story. We're, we're talking about uh, gentleness this morning. And, and the first thing you got to notice is the way he reacted to this. It's amazing. It's like he didn't react at all. He doesn't explode in anger. He doesn't run off frustrated. In fact, he does something that's so unexpected. Nobody, nobody even thought that this would happen. He just stops and bends down to the ground and starts writing something. It's almost like he's catching his breath, contemplating what he's going to do next, maybe counting to ten. Now, these are nasty people. They brought this woman out in front of this crowd, probably naked. 
and threw her down, humiliated her. This is rotten stuff, and I would have gone off on him. Now, at my age, I've gotten to a place where it takes a lot to get my goat these days. I try to move it around so people can't get it. But I can still, after all these years, uh, after all these years of being a Christian, if I'm not careful, I can go from flatline to way up here just like that. Jesus never did that. Ever. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says slow to speak and slow to anger, and that was him. And I'm thinking Jesus just bent down, wrote something in the dirt, just to give himself time to think. What am I going to do here? He might have had one of those bracelets on, WWJD. His would have been WWID. What would I do? But anyway, you know, he, he's thinking this thing through. And uh, some of the commentaries, you, you know, it's, it's, it's really fun to read the different commentaries I did because the question is, what did he write? And of course, we don't know what he wrote. But one of the commentaries I read, I love this, speculated that he wrote the most logical question that you could ask in this situation. And what is that? Where's the man? Where's the man? I mean, last time I thought, boys, it takes two to commit adultery. If you caught her in the act, where's he at? This, this smells kind of fishy to me here, like a setup job. And it would be just like Jesus to ask a question like that. To, he would be so in charge of his emotions and, and his anger and his mind that he would ask a question that would disarm the whole situation and show their motives. Now, I don't know if that's the question or not, but he did disarm them. And then verse 7, makes, he made that stunning statement that people still quote today. Okay, anybody here is without sin, cast the first stone. Stoner, as long as you're not a sinner. But listen to me, I love this because in the Greek, the word he uses for sin is the word for sinful desire. So what Jesus is actually saying is, go ahead, man, anybody wants to can throw a stone at her as long as you've never even had that kind of evil desire running around in your mind. Isn't that something? This is amazing to me. One commentary said, actually several of the commentaries said, he was just writing down the sins of the people in the group. Well, we don't know what he wrote, but we do know in verse 9 it says, the older people left first. They started walking away. Richard Neenham writes, many of the people who cry so loudly for justice today would beg for mercy if justice was shown to them. Hmm. Let's be careful, peacemakers. That can be us sometimes. We want grace. Sometimes we don't want to give it. Some of these older people are probably thinking, you know what, we all got something in our closet. We all got something we're working on. Some of them are probably thinking, uh, you know, before he starts writing my name down and my sins, we better get out of Dodge. And they did. And now it's just Jesus alone with this embarrassed, humiliated woman. And he treats her in a way that probably changed her life forever. By the gentleness of Christ. We appeal to you. That's the kind of peacemakers we want to be. Three quick things about this, and then we're going to pray, okay? Number one, gentle people are understanding, not demanding. Big difference. Philippians 2, 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. A gentle person always thinks about the other person, just like we said. What I say next, what I knew next, I want to make sure that I'm gentle here, that I'm understanding and not demanding. I mean, look at Jesus in this story. And he's so understanding with everybody. He's, he's got this hard-hearted, uh, hard-headed group of lawyers and Pharisees who think they're right, and they think they've got him trapped. He turns the table, and he's got them right where he wants them, and he lets them walk away. He just let them walk away. And then he's got this woman, you know, she's violated the seventh commandment. No getting around that. She broke it, and he knows it, and she knows it. But there's no strong rebuke, no long-winded lecture. No, see what I told you? 
I mean, my point is Jesus could have demanded his pound of flesh from every person in this story. But he chose to be understanding instead of demanding. That's our cue, peacemakers. That's what changes people. That's what gets them to listen to you when we become like Jesus. Now again, just like last week, we need to notice he doesn't negotiate right from wrong. He never does that. He called out her sin. But he did it in such a way that she ran to him. Somehow he was so gentle and so understanding that she ran to him. That's what we need to do. And it's so unlike our culture, but we can do this thing. And some of us are going to have the opportunity to do that yet today. Every Sunday, a bunch of us, in a lot of churches, but a bunch of us from this church, will rush out of here and try to beat the crowd to the restaurants. And when we get in there, restaurants. Our waitresses and our waiters are going to know we've been to church. They'll just know. They'll, they can tell by the way you're dressed. They can tell by the glow you have from being in a church full of the Holy Spirit because that's where you've been this morning. They'll be able to tell because you prayed. Maybe they'll be able to tell because they'll hear some positive comments. They'll, hear, they'll walk by and hear you say, wasn't that the best sermon you ever heard preached? Okay, they're not going to hear that. But they're going to know that you've been to church, okay? And here's something else that's going to happen with your waiter and waitresses. They're going to be in a hurry and a rush because all the people, and they're going to make mistakes. And when they do, you and I are going to have the opportunity to be demanding or to be understanding. We can be gentle or we can be jerks. But because we're full of the Holy Spirit and because we're all about being peacemakers, we're going to appeal to them through the gentleness of Christ. And you can talk to my sister about how often you can pray for a waiter and a waitress if you treat them like that. Claudia does it all the time. Number two, gentle people look to heal instead of looking to hurt. I'm sure you notice in this story, Jesus treated this woman with huge respect. He gently tells her the truth, told her she was a sinner. But again, he did it in such a way she came running to him. I mean, he chose to heal her instead of hurt her. Why can't we do that? Listen, what he could have done was, hey, what do we got here? Bring her up here. Look at this. I mean, boys, this is exactly what I've been warning you about right here. This is the way not to do life. He could have done that and hurt her really bad. But instead, he chose to be understanding and heal her. Cover her up. Let's take care of this. That, that's what gentle people do. And when he does, he demonstrates the supernatural power of God that every believer has to minister to people. I love this story. I know I've told you this story before, but it's been a long time ago, so some of you haven't heard it. Uh, Booker T. Washington, I'm from southern Indiana. Booker T. Washington was an African-American educator in the 1800s, and in 1881, he founded Tuskegee Institute, which became a very powerful aerospace university. It's the first uh, school of its kind in the South, and in 1881, he became the founder and the first president of the school. And on his way in the office one morning, <clears throat> some white gal saw him walking down the street and she hollered out the window, hey boy, come here. He went to see what she wanted. She said, I need some wood cut. Would you cut me some wood? I, I want you to just think about it, especially today. How would you have responded to that? Seriously. I'll tell you what he did, Dr. Washington. He took his jacket off, he cut that lady's wood, stacked it in the kitchen, refused payment and left and never told her who he was. Is that amazing? The next day she got invited to a fundraiser in town. He was the guest of honor. And when they introduced him, she was mortified. So embarrassed. And later that day she actually got introduced to him. He never brought it up. 
The next day she called his office, made an appointment, went to see him, apologized all over herself. And you know what he said to her? He said, let's just let it go, ma'am. I'm always happy to do a favor for a friend. That's gentle. That's Holy Spirit-driven gentleness. See, he had the power in that situation to accuse her, to berate her, but he chose instead to heal her instead of hurt her. And I'm telling you, folks, you and I are going to leave this church today full of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to go to work tomorrow and school tomorrow and we're going to go uh, out there tomorrow and we're going to be put in situations with a spouse or a friend or a sibling or a complete stranger where we're going to have all the power. They're going to be wrong and we're going to be right. And we can use that power to hurt them or we can use that power to heal them. And because we've watched Jesus Christ in action this morning and we're peacemakers, we're going to be gentle. We're going to be gentle peacemakers in, for the sake of Christ. One last thing, very quickly, and then we'll pray together. Gentle people are tender without surrender. Tender without surrender. Again, this story, just like last week, Jesus doesn't do any moral negotiating with this woman at all. He calls a sin a sin. Listen, God is light. In him there is how much darkness, church? No darkness at all. Jesus points out this woman's sin in such a way that begins to heal her life and change her life and reconcile her to God, just like we talked last week as peacemakers. Here's what I think our problem is. Maybe I'm just talking about me, but I think this is a problem for Christians today. We're afraid that if we point anybody's sin out at all in their life at all, they're going to run from us. And so instead, we think we just got to put our arms around them and love them. We do. We do. <laughs> But part of loving somebody is at some point you've got to tell them the truth. And it's like we said last week as peacemakers. You know what? You're out of line here with God a little bit, and I'd like to kind of get you guys back together again. Work this thing out. That's exactly what Jesus does here. He doesn't ignore sin, but he didn't exaggerate it either. He points out adultery, but he didn't call her an adulteress. It's huge. And by telling her to go and sin no more, he's showing confidence in her. He's saying, look, you don't have to live like this. You can change things up. You have the power inside of you to not live like this anymore. You and I just need to remember, peacemakers, that we are not Christian vigilantes. It's not our job to go out in society and find a sin and blast people to hell. And I tell you, one of the biggest reasons that's not our job is because we're all sinners saved by grace. Every one of us in here. It is our job to become gentle peacemakers and through the gentleness of Jesus Christ begin to bring people back into reconciliation for the Lord. Jesus was never easy on sin. And I'll tell you why. Because he knew when he forgave this woman that he would have to die for this woman. And he did. And that's why as we preach the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, which is for why I preach, we need to remember that although forgiveness is free, it ain't cheap at all. It cost our Savior not its his life, just his life. If that was all, that would have been enough. But the Bible says, he who knew no sin, perfect son of God, became sin for all of us. Every vile thought you've had, every vile sin you've seen reported in the paper was heaped upon Jesus Christ so that he could offer this woman forgiveness and you forgiveness. That's why when we come in here on Sundays, we recognize his broken body and his shed blood peacemakers. By the gentleness of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you this morning. Come up and be reconciled to God.